Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. Farming is a way of life often going back multiple generations. This lifestyle comes with its share of dangers, from physical injuries to psychiatric concerns. Tonight, On Call with the Prairie Doc, celebrating our 20th season. Hello, I'm Dr. Andrew Ellsworth, one of the Prairie Docs. Here at On Call with the Prairie Dock, we welcome your participation in our celebration of 20 seasons of truthful, tested, and timely medical information. Joining us tonight in our studio on the South Dakota State University campus in Brookings is, Dr. is Carl Elke with Avera Medical Group University Psychiatry Associates, Sioux Falls, and Dr. Jason Wickersham from Avera St. Benedict Certified Rural Health Clinic in Parkston. We look forward to answering your questions about farm health. Call 1-888-376-6225, send an email to ask at prairiedoc.org or ask on our Prairie Doc Facebook page. And to encourage your questions, those of you who ask a question during the first 20 minutes of tonight's program will be entered into a drawing for one of our Prairie Doc gift items. The winner will be announced at the end of this program. Your questions will remain anonymous, but be sure to provide your name and contact information when you submit your questions so we can contact the winner. So welcome, Carl. Welcome, Jason. Thank you for joining us tonight. If you don't mind, uh, Jason, give us a little, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us your background. Sure, Dr. Ellsworth. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, my name is Jason Wickersham. I grew up, I'm a family physician. I grew up in Gettysburg, South Dakota. Uh, it's a small rural community about 60 miles north of Pierre. I did not grow up on a farm. My parents are farmers, but in a community like that, you certainly spend a lot of time on the farm with friends as you grow up. I currently practice family medicine at Avera St. Benedict Health Center in Parkston, which is south of Mitchell, about 20 miles. I practice full scope family medicine there. I still do obstetrics all the way to geriatrics with some procedures and and certainly have the privilege of caring for a lot of wonderful farmers and their families. So. Excellent. And uh, Carl, how about a little bit, little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Uh, my name is Carl Oki. I grew up in uh, just west of Sioux Falls. Uh, went to West Central. Uh, grew up there and uh, I'm a fifth generation farmer. We currently live on my grandparents' uh, homestead. We don't live in their house anymore. My parents built a house when we moved back there. So uh, I went to graduated high school, went to USD, got my PA degree down there, and I've been at Avera for uh, approximately 18 years now doing adult psychiatry, both inpatient and outpatient, and was also the originator of the Avera Farm Stress Hotline in the spring of uh, 2019, uh, which uh, aims to try to cut down on some of the stigma with mental health uh, around our area and especially with ag producers both you know throughout our region uh, through Avera's footprint as well as um, our multi-state area so wonderful 
And, uh, you know, when you guys think of farm health and farm safety, what are some things uh, people can do to help reduce injuries around the farm? Jason? I guess, you know, I think, uh, when I think of farm safety, there, there's three things I worry about on the farm. One is safety, one is physical health, which we can talk about more, we're gonna talk safety here, and one is the mental health, which we'll talk about yeah. too. As far as safety, you know, this time of year is a very busy time of year. Farmers are trying to harvest their crop. Daylight hours are getting shorter. The things I see or that worry me that end up kind of coming back to bite farmers sometimes is that hurry. Yeah. You know, there's, there's wonderful safety equipment on many, a lot of our farm machinery now, but some of that equipment slows things down. And farmers are busy, there isn't that many daylight hours, I'm not sleeping that much, I, I gotta get this crop in. So it's easy to start thinking, well, how can I cut corners? And maybe if I remove that shield or, or I didn't take the time to shut off that auger or those things is where I see accidents happen, trying to save time, but in the end, it comes back to bite people. Yeah. Carl, like, think about grain bins. Unfortunately, hundreds of people die in grain bins every year. What are some things they can do to be safer around grain bins? Uh, Dr. Wickersham said it very well. I think a lot of the things that uh, farmers, myself being a farmer, uh, I think a lot of times we see uh, like an assumed efficiency, you know, by taking off that shield or, you know, quickening things, you know, leaving that auger on for some odd reason, you know, that corn is piled up inside that bin and that won't uh, come out, you know, please take that extra 30 seconds, you know, kill the power to that auger, uh, climb back up, make sure you have your harness, um, let someone know what, what you're doing. Uh, a lot of times a cell phone can get easily dislodged, you know, granted we all have our cell phones on us most of the time, uh, but in an accident a cell phone can become dislodged and in a green bin things disappear extremely quickly. Uh, make sure someone knows what, that you're going in, you know, have that harness on, have your rope there, make sure that auger is off have your flashlight, uh, but in all essence, the safest thing in a green bin is to not go in it. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I married a, a girl who grew up on a farm, and so I enjoy going back to the farm, and especially this time of year, and helping with harvest, and driving an old tractor or a green bin, and, and, uh, uh, and we did put on stairs around the green bin. That's been a helpful safety factor. Maybe we should have had someone else do it, that had more experience doing it. <laughs> Might have had a few less. You're going to find out in a hurry. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, you know, there's things, there's programs, there's there's that will pay for some of these safety features too. Mm -hmm. um, and just you know, asking around and getting getting on those programs yep. can be quite helpful. Um, you know, you've touched on f fatigue in a way, and how you're working these long hours, you want to try to get it done. Mm -hmm. How? You know, Carl, how do you talk yourself into stopping when you really want to get it done, but you need rest? You know, that's a tough proposition. I talk to farmers and ranchers a lot, you know. This time of year to tell a farmer to take a break, uh, to tell a, a cow-calf guy to take a break during calving season, those are extremely hard arguments to win. Uh, however, you know, in the anxiety of the moment of trying to get things done, uh, Fatigue is amplified, uh, accidents happen, accidents happen extremely quickly, we all know that. Yeah. 
so doing those types of things, you know, take some time, you know, get out of the combine cab, you know, have dinner on the tailgate of your pickup, get some folks out there, go for a walk in the field. All of those things can be extremely helpful just to reset your mind, but also your body. You know, a lot of times we, you know, we get slumped over, staring over, you know, and even a, a reel of a bean head, you know, can be hypnotizing, you know, corn, especially at night coming down through a corn head, you know, it can almost lull you to sleep. You know, there's a lot of concerns uh, with, you know, sleep deprivation causing as much of a concern as alcohol intoxication. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of folks, you know, they get too far behind the eight ball and it's really hard to catch up, especially on those rain days when you can. Take advantage of those days. You know, get an extra hour or two of sleep. Make sure that all those shields are on that combine. You know, go through that truck on those days. Try not to do it in a hurry in the morning time when you're trying to get back in the field because a lot of times you're going you're gonna to skip steps or you're going to leave things off. And next thing you know, that efficiency that you thought you were creating, you're now six hours behind the eight ball. Yeah. As a family doc, you're taking care of kids hmm. too. So you know, I'm sure you have some farm families, kids growing up on farms. What are some tips you might share with them to keep their kids safer? You know, a lot of it relates to the equipment, or, or a lot of the accidents I see, unfortunately, is equipment. It's that kid is so tiny, he's hard to, you're in that big piece of equipment, it's very hard to see that small child who's not smart enough yet or old enough to know. And excited be. to be on the farm. Right. And want right. to be there and Wants help dad. to help dad, you bet. Yeah. And that's, that's the big one is trying to take that extra time, pay attention, try to look around, and of course, trying to reinforce to the kids. It's great. We want you to help, but you need to be careful. It's hard to see out of that piece of equipment sometimes, and you're small, and it's easy to to miss you and run you over. Unfortunately, it seems like every year, a couple of years, we yeah. see an accident like that. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of running over road safety, um, for everyone else, what can we do when we're driving on a county road and we're coming up on a tractor that's going a little slower than we'd like? What would you recommend? Uh, well, first of all, folks, I promise I didn't leave my house just to slow you down with my combine. But um, as an aside to what Dr. Wickersham said about kids, uh, it's just from a personal experience of mine, which could have been extremely scary for me. Uh, a lot of times now with equipment, uh, you know, harvest is a gathering. It's a gathering of crops. It's a gathering of calves. It's a gathering of families a lot of times. You know, we're getting nieces, nephews, grandkids out there. There's nothing better than riding around in the cab of a combine. But a lot of times if we get out, if something needs to be fixed, my experience is with, uh, with a baler of mine. I had my daughter with me. I lifted up the baler. The net wrap had gotten stuck in my baler. I didn't think anything of it. I lifted the baler. I went back out to uh, un get, get the net wrap undone. As I'm walking back there, all of a sudden the gate starts coming down hydraulically. My daughter, of no intention, starts climbing around the cab. And a lot of times in tractors and combines these days, uh, we're using, instead of big handles to accentuate hydraulics, we're using small electronic switches. The hydrostat handle of a combine moves extremely easy. Make sure if kids are with you, turn those machines off before you get out of them. Make sure that kid is out of the cab if you do leave it on because those accidents can happen extremely quickly. And like I said, that could have been extremely tragic for myself. 
but thankfully I was just walking back there getting that, you know, getting ready to go near the baler. Uh, but it's just one more thing to remember that, you know, those little hands, and kids are a sponge. I mean, if they see you running a lever or, you know, accentuating a hydraulic lever in a tractor or a combine, I guarantee you they can do it in 15 seconds. You don't have to be a farmer to have a four-wheeler or a side-by-side -side or anything else like that. I feel like we're seeing more of them. Have you seen any accidents with those, Jason? Yes, unfortunately, it seems like that too. You know, it's, it's uh, doesn't, I think a lot of times people don't think of that as, as dangerous as a, getting in a car. And so, yeah, the kid can get on the four-wheeler and, and I unfortunately see very few helmets yeah. are, that would protect a lot of things. But certainly four-wheelers, side-by-sides, side-by-sides kids tend to tip over pretty easy even though it's bigger than that four-wheeler and you think maybe more stable. So those things too really got to be careful with. And One time I was on a run in the country and actually came across a little girl that was running for help. Oh. And it was a side-by-side side accident. It had fallen over, pinned the adult down and another kid. And I was able to get the kid out, you know, called 911. You know, she was hurt, but thankfully you know turned okay in the end but it, it's just another example of uh, slow down and uh, um, know, know the road know the conditions just had a kid within the last couple of weeks two kids tipped it over broken arm which certainly could be way worse than a broken arm but we tend to see a lot of those accidents yeah broken necks too yeah mm -hmm. um, I think we're going to go to an interview with a pulmonologist here. One disease that has plagued the farming community is farmer's lung. A persistent cough, shortness of breath, and general aches and pains are just some of the symptoms. Joining us now via Zoom is Dr. Sven Seni of Prairie Lakes Healthcare System in Watertown. As a pulmonologist, he specializes in lung diseases, including farmer's lung. Welcome and thank you for joining us tonight, Sven. Thank you for having me, sir. So what is farmer's lung? Farmer's lung, in my language, is acute hypersensitivity pneumonitis. It's a really fancy term for uh, inflammation of the lung in a, in a short amount of time um, related to stuff in the environment. Uh, the thing about hypersensitivity pneumonitis or farmer's lung is lots and lots of things can cause it. Uh, they're abundant in the farm, uh, in various agricultural processing areas, such as cheese factories, for example. Hmm. Um, you can think of it as a really bad allergic reaction that has a systemic, a body-wide uh, reaction that starts in your lungs. Um, it can be either acute, something that happens very, very abruptly after exposure. Um, the, the really bad part about how hypersensitivity pneumonitis or farmer's lung is it can become chronic. And that means that even when you're not around those things that have started this reaction, it continues. And it can result in almost what's, what, well, what is called a fibrotic change in the lungs. Um, your, your lungs should be the, the consistency of a dish sponge uh, that doesn't drip after you squeeze it out. And these, this fibrosis kind of turns your lung tissue to something like a dried out uh, uh, dish sponge where it's not pliable and it's not good at exchanging oxygen. That does so, not um, sound it's important. good. Go ahead. It does not sound good. So it's more than just, or isn't it an infection at all of the lung? It is non-infectious. It is, uh, does not respond to antibiotics. 
Um, it can frequently be thought of, you know, treated as uh, an acute upper respiratory infection um, by lots of folks um, with antibiotics, and those will, generally speaking, have no effect on it. Uh, it is treated with steroids and other immunomodulating uh, drugs, drugs that change your immune system. And so do you see this very often? I see a lot of it. Um, usually by the time people make it to me, it, it's in the chronic phase. Um, they've had a number of acute episodes with exposures to certain environments. Um, and then it doesn't go away when they when they get away from those areas and it, and it continues and um, their symptom burden increases and then they end up in my office. So with the treatment with the steroids and of course probably avoiding the, whatever's causing it, is yes. what's the prognosis how does it reverse ever uh once we're at the fibrotic change we are not able to change that back once once your lung is scarred up we can't get it back to where it is it is going to work very well for you um so our best chance is to catch it when you are kind of in what we term the inflammatory phase um and we can and turn that around and and as you pointed out the number one treatment for uh, um hypersensitivity pneumonitis is is to protect yourself um i'm sick of saying this in so many ways but we got to wear masks when we're when we're in certain uh environments um on the farm to kind of protect ourselves and so what are some of those uh substances or chemicals or situations so most of it are, are molds and fungi um, that are present on grains uh, and in various stages of, of grain processing. Um, they can uh, occur when there's uh, mold on beans and corn that are being harvested. Uh, it can happen when beans and corn get moldy in bins um, and, and uh, in those situations. Um, cheese, cheese factories, uh, uh, dairy production facilities um, have all sorts of this stuff around. Um, it, in those situations, uh, this fungus grows in the, in the bedding from stalls and, and whatnot. Um, so what are some symptoms someone should look for, you know, and tune in that, oh, maybe this might be more than, than just a cold or uh, a, a pneumonia or something? Uh, you know, if it lingers, if it lingers, it's worth getting checked out, uh, in my opinion. Um, a lot of times these happen episodically when you're in certain areas. Um, and sometimes people make those connections and sometimes they don't. Um, but if your symptoms are lingering for a long time, you should probably get them checked out just to make sure it's nothing progressive. And how would you tell that between asthma or COPD? Uh, it's a great question. So, uh, you know, hypersensitivity pneumonitis has, has some blood tests that we can do that we can see if your immune system has been primed for these kind of hypersensitivity reactions. It's got some pretty characteristic findings on CT scans. Um, and, and you're segueing into, you know, in my opinion, what is what is the bigger burden, respiratory burden among farmers is COPD and asthma. Uh, farmer's lung is something that, that well, says farmers in it, um, but COPD is far more common, has far more of a morbidity, mortality burden in the agricultural crew uh, than hypersensitivity pneumonitis per se. And obviously smoking would be the number one cause. Do you see other causes? Oh, yes, 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 yes. So smoking is number one cause in this country um, that we think of, uh, that we can clearly identify. However, worldwide, the number one cause of COPD is uh, exposure to smoke from biomass burning for uh, cooking and for heating and for exposure to really dusty environments. Um, 
farmers. Um, there's there's an, uh, an observational study that observed that farmers uh, in general uh, among a group of non-smoking farmers had about 12% of them had COPD uh, compared to about 2.5% of those people who had uh, uh, office jobs. Uh, this is all self-reported, but again, you're comparing a group of people who are non-smokers on both sides, and it's a, a whole heck of a lot more prevalent in those folks who are out in the fresh air all day. So the bottom line is if you're having respiratory symptoms, shortness of breath, uh, you know, a, a, a chronic cough, something that keeps lingering, yes. get checked out. Get checked out. You know, hypersensitivity pneumonitis, generally a non-productive cough, COPD, generally, generally productive. Uh, that might be one, one quick differentiator. And wear a mask if you're indoors working with wet, wet things, high humidity conditions, mold, hay, yep. stuff like that. Even dry conditions, that's a very good condi uh, condition for things to be aerosolized, um, you know, not to, to, to delve into too much stuff here, but there's something called organic dust uh, toxic syndrome, which is uh, not so much an allergic reaction, but an inflammatory reaction to aerosolized uh, uh, animal, animal uh, uh, dander and animal dung. Um, there's, there's parts of bacteria in there that your lungs really don't like when they get exposed to them. Um, so lots of reasons to protect your, your, your respiratory system uh, when you're around this stuff. Any other last words of advice for, for everyone out there during harvest season and across, uh, across South Dakota and, and uh, in the fall here? If you're in a spot where, where um, you're around a lot of dust, uh, please, please just do a little bit to protect yourself. Uh, it's nothing that you have to wear all day long or anything like that, but if you're getting a face full of dust in certain circumstances, do your best to try to protect yourself. I see a whole lot of old, older guys who maybe smoked for a few years when it was cool when they were in the service or when they were in high school and then spent the next uh, five decades on the family farm who have bad COPD uh, and scarring of their lungs from all their occupational exposures. Well, very good. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Sunny, and, uh, and uh, have a good night. Thank you for having me. You too. And so we've got uh, several viewer questions. Uh, a couple of these about chemicals and pesticides. How do chemicals and pesticides affect farm workers? Do they have a negative impact on their health? And, another, and that was from a, a question from someone from Spearfish and someone from Sioux Falls said, do the chemicals used in the farm have a link to cancer? My understanding, I think this is an evolving area. I, I think we're just starting to realize that there probably is some link to cancer with some of our chemicals. Uh, I don't think we know a lot of details yet about that. I think there's a lot of ongoing studies going on right now, but I think we're probably going to find out that there is some, certainly some adverse effects to some of the chemicals that farmers are exposed to. Do you have any experience with chemicals and, and causing problems? Uh, <clears throat> certainly do. I mean, we've <clears throat> sprayed over the years on our farm. You know, uh, I more or less have the co-op do my spraying now, but uh, some of the bigger things, you know, to focus on, you know, make sure you have gloves on when you're handling pesticides. Um, should have, have a mask on as well. A lot of the chemicals that we use now are actually in powder form uh, when you first put them in the tank uh, for a sprayer. Um, and especially that last little bit of dust that's coming out of that uh, container as you're putting it in uh, the sprayer. Like I said, I certainly don't know that that's a direct causative uh, agent at, at, at this time, but uh, certainly everything that we can do to protect ourselves going forward, uh, wearing a mask, wearing you know, eye protection, wearing gloves, you know, making sure that you've got long sleeves on uh, while, you're, while you're working on those. 
Ideally, if you had even like a drape of some sort, you know, to pr protect from any splashing, uh, you know, as you're in putting that uh, herbicide or pesticide in, in your tank, um, should all be things that farmers should be focusing on. We did cut get a couple other follow-up questions about our farmers long, and I think we have Dr. Senny still. So I, I will ask you, uh, Sven, a caller from Sioux Falls was recently diagnosed with a fungus in the lungs. Is that much different from farmer's lung? Uh, yes, it is. So uh, you can have a fungal pneumonia, which is an invasive uh, infection of your of your uh, uh, lung tissue. Uh, there's something that, that uh, is a condition called allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis, which is kind of like uh, you've got a fungus growing on your lung that you're allergic to, um, and those are different uh, than hypersensitivity pneumonitis, which is more of an allergic reaction that, uh, that has the possibility of not stopping. So infectious versus non-infectious. Yeah, and a viewer from Rapid City wants to know if there's a certain time of year that hits farmers harder than other times of year. Oh, uh, as far as, as as respiratory complaints, you know, a lot of a lot of respiratory complaints are dri driven by allergens, um, and different folks have different allergens at different times of year, and different years can be different. This is a different year up here in Northeast South Dakota. I'm still mowing the lawn, um, so we're going to have different uh, different fungi, different things in the air, different pollens in the air. Um, so. Um, it can be different every single year, and there is not any yeah. generalized blanket advice I can give to that. Thanks again for sticking with us there. Uh, one person asks, can you speak to the dangers of cold weather for farmers? How does someone know when they have frostbite, Jason? Hmm, that's a good question, and not something we always think about, or not something I think about right away when I think about farm safety, but certainly pertains. Um, you know, frostbite there's different different things you have to worry about I think one is okay are you dry or wet you know if you're exposed if you're wet for whatever reason you have bigger problems probably uh, frostbite in general things you start to notice is blanching or changing in the the skin color of your fingers pain in your fingers numbness tingling those would all be signs to start thinking, well, maybe I need to take a little break and get inside and warm up a little bit. Or... And what is the latest recommendation for warming back up? Are you... I, th Go ahead. I believe it's slowly warming. Um, you know, you can run hands under hot water. Be careful of that temperature because if your hands are really numb, you won't right away sense that. But it's gonna be extremely painful as it does warm back up, depending on how cold it gets and if there's any uh, crystal yeah. in that tissue, then you have some other issues too. But it's slowly warming, I believe. Uh, it's gonna be painful as it happens. And I think they also rec don't recommend rubbing like right. they used to. Yeah. Um, that can just cause more damage too, as those crystals and just rubbing the tissues off and such. Um, farmers often have sun damage to their skin. Are there certain parts of the body that are affected most often? Your exposed skin, uh, tops of your ears, backs of your necks, mm -hmm. uh, backs of your hands. I'm probably the poster child for not wearing uh, the sunscreen that I should be over the years and uh, probably the biggest, you know, <clears throat> I think we've evolved a little bit, you know, a lot of historically, um, probably some of the older folks you're seeing, those were open cab tractors. A lot of times they didn't have umbrellas on them. You know, we do have the luxury of air conditioning and cabs in pretty much most of our stuff now, but still, you know, there's the lands on majority of your work is outside with the sun beating down. And, you know, and unfortunately, uh, 
the SPF 70 or 50 is, is not what a lot of folks uh, put on as they're walking out the door. So I definitely, and I'm sure you have too, Jason, frozen plenty of oh, precancerous of and taken off cancers off of ears and yeah. noses and, and that left arm from hanging out the window. Hanging That's out right. the window. <laughs> so. <That's right. laughs> oh, this is a good question. Where would one obtain the harness that is recommended for farmers entering safety bins? I, I don't know that for certain. However, I did see an article in, I believe it was the Farm Journal, or Farm Journal or the Green Paper from out of Aber Aberdeen. One of the farm cooperatives up there was actually giving them away uh, to try to just protect farmers in their area. Uh, I believe, please don't quote me on this, but I believe it was Agtegra uh, out of uh, Northeast South Dakota up there. Uh, they were giving out, um, I believe it was a duffel bag with a harness, a rope, uh, had a carabiner in it uh, and some other safety things uh, for grain bins, um, but that would probably be otherwise like the SDSU extension. You know, would have op, you know would have information on how to obtain something like that. And similar, probably you know, if someone wanted uh, this person asked from here on asked about uh, train emergency training for farm families, um, perhaps contact some of those places. Pre you know, the extension, the SDSU extension is um, has a mental health department. They have. I mean, a myriad of departments that they can help with and obviously, you know, would be well-versed in being able to access some of those things for folks. Yeah. Um, Jason, yeah, as you know, many fam farmers have hearing deficits. Can this be prevented or how? It can be prevented. You know, the problem with a lot of these things, same with the sun exposure, by the time we get wise enough to realize boy, I should put on sunscreen or wear a brimmed hat instead of my baseball cap or... I should have bought a pair of earplugs. <laughs> it's that same thing. I, you know, if you protect it, you can preserve it, but it's that. It's wearing muffs or earplugs or things like that that when you're younger you don't think of. And a lot of times by the time you realize, oh, I'm starting to get a little hearing loss, I should do that, a lot of times the damage is done by then. Okay. But certainly a preventable condition if you just use the protective equipment. Even in the best of times, farming can be an incredibly high-stress occupation. Unpredictable weather, crop disease, volatile markets, heavy workloads, and social isolation are just a handful of the challenges that farmers may face. Times have changed. You know, farming has always been stressful, but in this day and age, um, it's a whole nother level of stress. It's a whole nother level of fear. It's a whole nother level of, I don't know what the future's gonna hold. Your responsibilities today are as great or greater than they ever were for your dad or your grandpa. A lot of the persona of farming is very hardened, stoic individual who's out working by themselves. And those aren't a lot of times folks who ask for help. You know, they'll see pictures in the farmstead of, you know, grandma and grandpa, you know, getting through the dirty 30s. Mom and dad making it through the 80s, you know, somehow. Now all of a sudden, you know, they're sitting at their own kitchen table going, how could we possibly lose a three or four generation farm? 
when everything should have been getting better, uh, but it's not. Unfortunately, it really starts to weigh on folks, uh, their ability to do, do their job, uh, but also their ability to do the things that you and I take for granted. And obviously the number one concern across all mental health is suicide, if that person is starting to have thoughts of taking their own life. Because you can't see mental illness, folks don't think it's real. To talk to even, you know, someone that you've trusted for years or known for years about your mental health issues or, you know, the feelings that you might be having about harming yourself or inability to go forward, you know, that's where folks clam up. When I started the Farm Stress Hotline, one of the biggest things I was hoping to do was try to eliminate or lessen that stigma. The Veris Farm and Rural Stress Hotline was started in uh, spring of 2019. Biggest thing that is, I would say, it's a, uh, it's a doorway to get folks help. Anonymity across the board is, is what we're after. This is 100% confidential. The only one that's gonna let the neighbors know at some point in time is you if that's what you desire. We have history on our side. I guarantee you, did, you haven't felt like this forever, and we can get you back to that. You know, you're dealing with a lot of stuff right now, none of which is under your own control. You didn't ask for a drought, you didn't ask for a flood, but we can help you get through it. And all we gotta do is kinda take it a step at a time. Talking about emotions doesn't automatically mean that you're vulnerable. It doesn't mean that you're weak. Um, reaching out and getting that help actually induces strength. It induces resiliency. You're not alone in your plight. You're not alone in your concerns, your, your symptoms, your fears. I care because one, I love farming and I, two, I love to see people succeed. Um, I've seen the hurt that suicide has caused uh, firsthand. Any life taken is one, one too many. The biggest thing I don't want you to do is hide, you know. Um, be open, be transparent, and we'll get through it together. Carl, that was a powerful video. Um, good intro to the, the Vera Farm and Rural Stress Hotline. Tell us a little bit about the background of that and how mm -hmm. you came across to make that. Sure. Uh, kind of the idea came uh, 2018, as <laughs> no farmer needs to be reminded. Uh, pretty stressful, extremely hard harvest. Uh, that's kind of when the rain started coming. Uh, harvest was extremely prolonged. It got cold early, it snowed. Uh, we were combining on ice there at the very end. Uh, corn wouldn't dry. There wasn't many bushels out there uh, anyway, uh, which then just kind of started the cascade of events that kind of led into 2019 uh, with all the prevent plant acres, record number of prevent plant acres in South Dakota. Uh, 
Obviously, then we also uh, had issues with some uh, tariff concerns with China uh, that really sent prices down in a hurry. Um, probably one of the biggest things you know we've talked about is just, unfortunately, with all these things that are out of a producer's control, there are still is this vast number of responsibilities that they still have to, um, that they still have, whether that's putting shoes on their kids' feet, you know, trying to make a land payment, trying to make a line of credit payment. Um, trying to figure out inputs for the following year. All of those things started to amplify. Uh, at that time, uh, myself being a farmer, I was struggling, even myself, with trying to figure out, you know, how are we going to get through this fall? Uh, and I also realized working at Avera that, you know, that was a demographic of folks I didn't think we were seeing, you know, to the extent that we probably should be, uh, whether that be inpatient or outpatient. I had had a smattering of other ag producers that I had seen, but uh, wanted folks to know that, you know, there is somebody with some experience in that field. You know, I can understand, you know, things that maybe someone else, you know, might not be able to. And trying to start that conversation, develop that rapport right off the bat, you know, that is an ex there is an extreme amount of trepidation that comes with making that first phone call, showing up for that first appointment, a lot of those things. So knowing that you're going in to talk to someone that potentially has that background, um, just wanted to try to get that word out, which is where the uh, onset of the Farm Stress Hotline came from. Jason, what are some of the signs, symptoms to watch for in, in, you know, for, in a friend or family member suffering from depression? And um, what, what should they watch for? I think it's hard because it varies in everybody. You know, say, uh, one person who's depressed maybe just has no energy, uh, sleeps too much, gets up, goes and goes to the fridge, gets something to eat, goes back to the couch and just can't even get motivated to do anything. The next person might lay in bed all night and just stare at the ceiling and can't sleep at all and their mind won't shut off. And But in general, it's, you know, change in behavior, uh, much more irritable than you're used to seeing from them, making comments that that you wouldn't usually hear or, or are concerning or worrisome. I would say those type of things to watch for. Um, what's the best way someone can help them? I think, as Carl said, it's it's reach out. You know, people just like the video say. You know, people don't see this as a disease, or and I always talk to people in the office when we do have the discussion about depression or anxiety that they're not weak. You know, if they reach out for help and they they come to the office and make that step, that's a huge step. Uh, same thing with family members or friends. You know, if you see that in a family member or friend, there's that stigma a little bit, of, I think, about, well, we're tough South Dakotan people. We don't, you know, we just don't talk about that. And, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and talk. And, and that might be something that saves someone's life if you take that step. Carl, how do you get that farmer or whoever that, you know, say, you need to go get seen, you need help, mm -hmm. and they just refuse? What do you tell someone trying to help someone like that? Uh, you know, we've kind of set up the hotline to be open to anyone, you know, whether that's a spouse, whether that's a neighbor. Uh, giving that number, you know, giving that person, the, you know, the hotline's number just to kind of start that conversation. And... Like I said, uh, we've tried to make it as accessible as we possibly can. Um, a lot of folks are very uncomfortable, you know, being seen in their local region, you know, 
even talking to their primary care physician who they have an extremely intimate relationship with, you know, that conversation might start with clergy or that conversation, you know, would be easier said with, you know, talking over the phone or doing a telemedicine visit or even some folks are granted not going to have many takers during, you know, corn harvest to, you know, you know, drive an hour or so, you know, drive somewhere else to be seen. Uh, we try to set up the hotline to um, offer accessibility and anonymity at the same time. Uh, if that person is more comfortable being seen in a locale outside of their home, we want to try to help set that up. Uh, we've even come to the point where we can avoid doing prescriptions in a hometown pharmacy. A lot of folks are potentially, you know, are fine drop, you know, picking up their metoprolol or their metformin, you know, at the hometown pharmacy. Blood but pressure, diabetes, anything whatever. like that. But you know, stepping in and get an antidepressant or a medication to even help sleep, you know, that might be something that that person is just not to the point of that they're willing to do and they just can't quite overcome that fear. Uh, our pharmacy downstairs at, uh, at Avera Behavioral Health, uh, we can actually send medications. Uh, there's gonna be uh, some options coming through the state to help with voucher programs uh, for counseling. You know, one of the biggest concerns during, you know, 2019 is, you know, cost. You know, a lot of folks gave up insurance just because they couldn't make ends meet. They couldn't make their premiums pay. So the first thing that you're talking to a producer on the phone that, you know, has lost a crop, prevent planted all their acres, you know, wasn't able to sell what they had in the bin for a decent price. Well, I can't come to Sioux Falls and pay for a visit with someone. Uh, so that's one of the another fear that we've tried to alleviate. Uh, we do have some foundation funding that can help with some of those visits. Uh, like I said, the state is actually working uh, with some funding to help with uh, counseling. Uh, so that is, you know, we're trying to take as many barriers away as we possibly can. And that I think is probably one of the biggest one after making the initial call. Something I always encourage patients when I'm talking to them about depression or anxiety is things that we all realize is we get to sit in an office with very nice people, sometimes at their lowest point in life, and hear things that other people don't realize. And I tell people, you know, if, if everyone who took an antidepressant or anti-anxiety medicine had a big red X on their head, you'd be amazed how many people were walking around with a big red X on their forehead. And a lot of times you would think, well, why, why Carl? He's got a great job and a great family. And, you know, it hits everybody. It's not, it, it's not a, a uh, it's not discriminatory. It doesn't, right. yeah, it, it doesn't carry your socioeconomic status. You know, you might, you know, a lot of the big, a lot of concerns that I see, you know, kind of as an aside to that, you know, folks that struggle the most, you know, in small towns, a lot of these folks, you know, they're icons in their town. I mean, mm -hmm. these are five, six, seven generation folks that, you know, everyone can know and they carry so much weight on their shoulders that they feel like they have to produce, they have to be the best, they have to be perfect. And when they can't do that, even of no they're control human. of their own, they're 100% human. They're 100 human, but they struggle to accept that. Yeah. And that's where we can hopefully start that conversation, get them some help. You know, I tell a lot of folks, you know, a medication is, even if we offer a medication, it's, this isn't a lifelong prescription. I mean, you might need it for a month or two, things are gonna change. You know, the weather's hopefully going to change. Prices are hopefully going to change. All we're trying to do is make you as functional as we possibly can in this moment and help you get through this, avoiding the biggest concern of mine, which is always suicide.
do you guys see, which is not going to change, per suicide's permanent. It is. Do you guys see counseling, medications, other things help? Do they help? Oh, yeah, certainly. And it's, you know, no one treatment is right for every patient. And no, not even this medicine might work great for me, but it just isn't the right medicine for you. But, but those, sometimes it's medicine, sometimes it's counseling, sometimes it's the combination of both of those things, but they definitely help. Sometimes it takes a little trial and error, unfortunately, to find the right combination or the right medicine, but, but they definitely help. What are some other non-medication option, treatment options? Uh, individual therapy probably being the biggest one. Uh, cognitive behavioral type therapy is, uh, is wonderful. I've heard some things that even I didn't know. There's some different apps out there, some relaxation apps that folks are having wonderful luck with. There's biofeedback. Uh, got a gentleman that does uh, hypnotism somehow, like on YouTube, which that was a new one to me. But uh, a lot of those... And I guess one of the bigger things that I'll tell folks is, you know, the old adage of being pill pushers, I mean, that's not, you know, what I'm after at all. Uh, medications have side effects, and we need to be cautious of that. We need to be cognizant of that. Uh, so that's another thing, you know, that I tell a lot of folks is, you know, we're going to start low. If we do opt for that route, we're going to go slow. We're going to monitor. We're going to make sure that, you know, the last thing that I want to do is helping someone's anxiety is end up inducing an accident, you know doesn't do any good to treat their anxiety if they end up in the ICU because they just ran their combine off the road because they couldn't stay awake. So, you know, we try to be very cautious of that, but, um, you know, always instill a, fam a plan with family. You know, I want family members to know, okay, if we're going to go this route with the medication, these are some of the concerns that I want you looking for. You know, that outside, I've said it a many, many times, the outside looking in prerogative is usually right. You know, a spouse knows when things aren't right. A son or a daughter knows when things aren't right. You know, so li listen to them. You know, if they think that you maybe could, uh, you know, use some help. Uh, you know, they're not trying to slow you down in any way or, you know, prevent you from getting your work done. They're just trying to help you get through what's actually taking place at the time. Um, exercise can be helpful yep. as well. Endorphins are wonderful. Uh, yep. What then? What's that? They induce endorphins. Yep. Absolutely. Exactly. Yep. Um, and what about uh, drugs and alcohol, marijuana? Do they help? You know, th those things you mentioned are depressant. So really many times they have the counter effect, you know, and maybe initially you start to feel good. You think, okay, this is helping, but in the long run, it ends up in a crash many times. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen people try to self-treat with drugs or alcohol and so on. You know, very much so. I mean, alcohol is the most readily available medication there is. It's at every convenience store and bar and every small town in South Dakota, but it certainly has a deleterious effect on mood. Um, as Dr. Wickersham said, yeah, you'll get that initial high where you maybe feel a little bit better, but um, you know, there's always a, the circle always ends up right back where you started, which unfortunately then you're a little bit lower than where you started too. And especially with, if a person is contemplating medication or, you know, they certainly have additive effects with medication and very concerning effects with medication as well. Um, one quick question from a Facebook viewer. I've heard that widowed male farmers are at higher risk of suicide than the general population. Is that true? And if so, why? 
I'm not I sure think. I know the answer. Yeah. I'm going to defer to Carl if he knows that one, but. I don't know that I've ever seen a definitive number as far as that. Uh, I think you could take a lot of concerning aspects out of that statement. Um, social isolation, lonely, you know, being alone, widowed, male, um, probably older gentlemen based on that amount of time. Uh, however, the bottom line is they can get help. They can still get help and we can help them. Yeah, very good. The winner of our drawing from tonight is Virginia C. from Spearfish. Thank you, Virginia, for asking a question during the first 20 minutes of the show. A gift will be sent to you. We'll be right back after this. South Dakota State University pharmacy students standing by to take your calls. The number is 1-888-DOCTOR-ON-CALL. Imagine yourself in a blizzard so thick and cold and blinding that you could not see your hands right in front of you. Such blizzards were common 150 years ago on the upper Great Plains. Without much for houses and trees, the wind blew the snow with such force that the little ice crystals were more like little knives, making it hard to keep one's eyes open, even if there was something to see. Thus, to get safely from the house to the barn, farmers often hung a rope between the two to not get lost. It was literally a lifeline. Otherwise, one wrong turn and perhaps nothing would stop you from wandering across the frozen prairie. As a sixth generation South Dakotan, I cannot imagine some of the hardships my forefathers had to endure to survive. How did they feed themselves when the rains did not come or when the fires did? How did they heat the house when the wood or coal had run out? How did they fight the boredom of months in a single room not to mention the isolation. There are many who still face those questions. Farming still carries great risks with drought, floods, or financial stress. There is the chance of failure, of losing the family farm, of choosing the wrong crops or the wrong time to plant in unpredictable markets with trade wars, changing weather patterns, and other factors. One little mistake may ruin a million dollar piece of equipment or result in a lifetime disabling accident. Given these pressures, it may not come as any surprise that farming has one of the highest suicide rates in the nation, which has been rising over the last decade. Of course, you do not have to be a farmer to face financial, physical, or mental pressures that may contribute to feelings of helplessness, failure, loss of hope, and depression. You may be easily irritated and feel like sleeping all day, lack energy, and no longer enjoy what you once did. If you or someone you know needs help, please reach out. Hotlines available for those in crisis or for those looking to help someone else are the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, and the Avera Farm and Rural Stress Hotline at 1-800-691-4336.
Just as that rope was a lifeline from the barn back to the farmhouse years ago, a simple phone call can be a lifeline for those in need of help today. No matter your occupation or stage of life, please reach out if you need help. Even if it feels like you are in a blinding blizzard with nowhere to go, reach out and take hold of that rope, that lifeline, and make that phone call. Thank you to our guests, Carl Elke and Dr. Jason Wickersham for volunteering to join us in the studio tonight, and Dr. Sven Senny for joining us via Zoom. And to our viewers, if you are traveling this winter, being outside of South Dakota does not mean you have to miss our live programs. Each of our weekly episodes is streamed live on our Facebook page. Tune in each Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Time, and you can still call in your questions. As we continue to celebrate our 20th season, we invite you, our viewers, to tell us how this program has made a difference in your life. Please email or mail your story to the addresses on the screen. If you would like to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube or visit us at prairiedoc.org. Look for Prairie Doc Perspectives in your local newspaper and be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. And as we celebrate our 20th season of truthful, tested, and timely medical information, from all of us here at On Call with Prairie Doc, until next time, stay healthy out there, people. nourishment into energy, but problems may not be uncomfortable. They may be life-threatening, belly pain and gut health. Next time, On Call with the Prairie Doc, celebrating our 20th season. Healing Words Foundation board member Dr. Ken Bartholomew from Pierre is nearing the completion of his kayak challenge on the Missouri River. He began last fall, and despite three cancer surgeries, he continued his journey this spring and summer. He looks forward to paddling the final leg soon. I instituted this challenge last fall to try to keep Prairie Dock on the air, and we need your donations to help do that. This will help keep advertisement-free medical education coming to the public. Won't you accept the challenge and support us with 10 cents, 25 cents, 50 or even a dollar per mile of the 411 miles I plan to have covered? Go to prairiedock.org and click on the donate button or mail your donation to P.O. Box 752, Brookings, South Dakota. Be sure to include the word kayak in the memo. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Dog has been provided by Avera is a proud sponsor of On Call with the Prairie Doc on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information. 
and with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions. Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings, Madison, Flandreau District Medical Society, Pierre District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Orthopedic Institute, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftel Communications.